Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 291 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. I am thrilled you are here with me today as I'm talking to Carrie Mayer about how to find your community. And it was one of those delightful chats in which I found a little bit of my own community. She is wonderful. I love doing this show because I meet the coolest people. So you are going to enjoy that when we get to it. What has been going on around here? Well, I have been writing and having so much fun. I have chosen a word for this book, uh, or maybe this book chose this word for me, but it's trust. And every day that I sit down to do this first draft, I am trusting. I'm just trusting. I'm trusting in the whole thing. I am. Tr- I, I have done this often enough now that I know that any book can be revised. And that doesn't just go for me. That goes for you, my friend. There is no unsalvageable book. So because I know that, because I have seen that over and over in my own life, and I've seen it over and over in my students' lives, you can trust me when I say that there is no unsalvageable book. You'll sometimes hear writers say, oh, no, it just it just died on me. No, no, it didn't, sir. No, it did not die on you. You chose to let it die, which is absolutely valid. There are three and possibly a fourth, I haven't decided yet, books that are languishing in places where I will never pull them out. I know that that's that's not, they're, they're, I wrote them too early, too long ago. I don't want to touch them. And that is fine. I've made that decision. Could I fix them? I know I could. I know I could. But for those books, I've um, for most of them, I've already done what I wanted to do with them. One of them I replotted and just rewrote from scratch, et cetera. Anyway, what am I saying with this? Um, I am saying, oh, because I am trusting, I'm just letting myself have fun. And something has clicked in my head with this word trust that I just get to have a good time. I'm just trying to have a good time on the page. And when it stops being a good time, I add something playful to it. I do something silly. Uh, and it's working and it's a ball. So I'm working on that. That's the seven miracles book. And I have heard from my editor. I'm sorry if there's some weird wine in the background, there's uh construction going on downstairs and I can't do anything about it. So that's what that is. Um, I am about to get edits back on my memoir. She's had it a little bit of extra time. Uh, so that just reminds me, I need to ask my copy editor for extra time. And that is what happens in the publishing industry because I will need time to revise the book. I am 100% terrified. I have completely, I may have mentioned this last week, but um, it's probably worse now, completely convinced myself that this is the worst book that I've ever written. And she will tell me that she will, the revision letter to me will say, give up and go work at Trader Joe's. The problem is New Zealand does not have Trader Joe's, so I don't know what I'm going to do. Also, I know uh, because I've been through this, and if you haven't heard Eileen's episode of you know three or four times, three or four podcasts back on getting a revision letter, revision letters just explode your world. They explode your brain. Then you have to sift through the rubble to see what you're going to do with the book. And every book is fixable. Revision is just a set of tools. And uh, I love 
this particular set of tools. So it will be fun. I am nervous about getting it. Very nervous about getting that revision letter, but that's okay. I am also excited to get it. I am going away this weekend on retreat, and I am curious to see if I will get the revision letter before I leave. It might be an ideal time or it might ruin my time. So I actually don't know what I want and I'm just I'm just going to let it happen. If I get the revision letter before I leave, fantastic. I will work on it while I'm gone. If I don't, I will just continue writing the novel and either case is absolutely fine by me. The place I'm going on retreat for four days by myself is a place completely off of communication. I believe it has electricity, but it doesn't have Wi-Fi or um, even cell service. So I'm going to be by myself, just writing and reading and hopefully swimming in the sea. So by the time this goes up, I will be on the road to that by myself. Have I mentioned that I'm excited about this writing retreat? I have not been by myself for two years, people, two years as of this month. And I just can't wait. And uh, my wife is also looking forward to having the house to herself. So that's going to be great. Um, let's see what else is going on. I just wanted to mention something that has been coming up in a couple of my classes, uh, this realization that we all have to go through that writing of any sort, especially writing books like memoirs or novels is, is hard. It's just a lot of work. I am one of those people who really, really wishes I could pull some kind of lever and put some kind of token in a slot and have a book done in two weeks. I cannot I never will be able to, but my heart still gets very frustrated that I can't write a book in two weeks, that I can't revise a book in two weeks, that it takes, it always takes longer than I want it to. Always, always, always. And it always takes more work. But what I've been seeing light up in people's faces recently is this realization that yes, it is hard. Yes, it takes a lot of work. But yes, if I sit down, for a little bit of time, the thing I always say, a little bit of time here and there, and I am regular at doing that, the work gets done and progress is made and books are completed. So I just wanted to remind you that this is all imminently doable and you are the one who can do it. Whether you are the kind of person who shows up regularly for smaller amounts of time, that's kind of the way I am. My ideal writing time is two hours or less a day. That's when my brain, that's how my brain likes to write. And if I can get a couple thousand words, fantastic. I'm done for the day when I'm writing first draft words. Uh, or you may be a person who is more of a burst writer who needs to go away for a weekend or write all on a Saturday, but can't write during the week. Any of that is fine. Um, the problem arises when you tell yourself you are one kind of writer and then you don't do that kind of writing. So if you're telling yourself you're a burst writer and you are unable to schedule any bursts of time to get your writing done, then you either need to schedule time away to write or start to play with working for 10 minutes at a time, 15 minutes at a time regularly in order to get the, the work done. Either way will work. A combination method is a fantastic way to go. That's what I'm doing this weekend. I usually only work two hours a day. I'm going to be working more on my retreat and you can hear my voice and I'm just excited about doing that. So um, it's all difficult. It's all a lot of work, but it can also all be fun in its own unique, special way. And all of it is doable. And there is help every single step of the way. 
One thing that writers, I think, do often, and I'm speaking for myself here, is we shoot ourselves in the foot by trying to learn everything that we're ever going to need to know before we know it. We don't need to do that. That will stress us out and slow us down. If you are writing the first draft of your novel, I would encourage you, perhaps you have heard that query letters exist if you want to go the traditional publishing route. Now is not the time to stress out about your query letter. Stressing out about your query letter comes after you've done four or five revisions and passes of this book that you're working on, and it's as good as you can possibly make it. That's after you complete the first draft. It's nice to know that a query letter is out there, but you don't need to study it. You don't need to bash your head against the wall trying to figure all of this stuff out, marketing and um, promotion and cover design. And you don't need all of this stuff if you are not there yet. Let yourself come to each new roadblock that pops up in front of you and then go out and get help. There is so much free help out there. Google, you know, go to YouTube for basically anything. Use some good discretion on your own part of what you decide to watch and what you don't watch. And then learn how to do it. That could rewire this house in New Zealand, given enough time and YouTube and um, fire extinguishers, but it, it could be done. All of the help is out there. Speaking of that help, and the reason I'm bringing this up is I am considering, um, I'm, go- I'm going to take a few months off between classes this time because of deadlines, but I also want to maybe um, play with doing a couple of online classes, some evergreen always up courses. I have the one course, how to stop stalling and get your work done, which I never talk about. I never remember to mention, but there is a, it's pretty cheap course. I, I can't imagine I'm charging very much for it, um, how to stop stalling and get your work done. And you can always find that over at rachelherron.com. But I would also like to do one on, uh, there's this class I teach at Stanford um, sometimes, and it's just a day-long course, uh, talking about the differences between traditional publishing and self-publishing and how to make the decision and what you're going to have to do um, in either case, what you do. So I'm going to put together that online class. I also might do one on story structure, and I might do one on revision tools. The reason I'm saying this is not to get you excited about it because um, I always want to do everything in two weeks and it's not going to happen. But if you want to shoot me a message with a class that you would love to see from me, I'm looking for like, you know, one to two hour classes broken up into, you know, five and 10 minute chunks of stuff I could teach. I like that format. I like offering that format. I like having things um, at different price points. I know that my classes, my, my, intensive masterclasses, they are expensive and they fill up almost instantly and um, they are not for everybody. But I would like to be able to offer classes at a lower rate to everyone um, that of things that would be helpful. So if you want to shoot me a message anywhere that you can find me online, which is basically everywhere, um, do that. And I think that's all I wanted to share with you today. So let us jump into the interview with Carrie Mayer. Let me give you a little bit of an intro for her. Carrie Mayer is the author of the white, uh, sorry, the girl in white gloves, the Kennedy debutante and under the name Carrie majors. This is not a writing manual notes for the young writer in the real world. She holds an MFA from Columbia university 
and was a writing professor for many years. She now writes full-time, lives with her daughter and dog in a leafy suburb of west of Boston, Massachusetts. The Paris bookseller, which was delightful, by the way, uh, is her most recent novel. And please enjoy this interview with Carrie. I know that you're going to. Do you wonder why you're not getting your creative work done? Do you make a plan to write and then fail to follow through again? Well, my sweet friend, maybe you'd get a lot out of my Patreon. Each month, I write an essay on living your creative life as a creative person, which is way different than living as a person who binges Netflix 20 hours a week, and I have lived both of those ways, so I know. You can get each essay and access to the whole back catalog of them for just a dollar a month, which is an amount that really, truly helps support me at this here writing desk. If you pledge at the $3 level, you'll get motivating texts from me that you can respond to. And if you pledge at the $5 a month level, you get to ask me questions about your creative life that I'll answer in the mini episodes. So basically, I'm your mini coach. Go to patreon.com slash Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L, to get these perks and more. And thank you so much. Well, I could not be more pleased to welcome my guest to the show. Hello, will you please say your name and your pronouns? Oh, Carrie Mayer and she, her. Thank you. Um, Saying the pronouns is something brand new to the show. This is something I do in all my classes, but I'm just going to talk about it right now because um, I have heard Allie, uh, Allie, what's her name? Allie Ward do it on um, all of the Ologies podcast. And I love that. What we're doing is normalizing giving pronouns for everybody around us. Thank you for jumping right in with both feet there. Um, and thank you for being on the show. Can you please tell me, There's uh, most people listen to this show, but for the people who are watching the show, and I will describe what is behind you right now. It is a beautiful oh, yes. <laughs> painting and a Christmas tree oh. because uh, of course I'm always recording ahead of time. <laughs> but can you, you tell us, let's start. Can you describe the painting for us and then tell us what is special about that? Well, yes, and I'll hold up the other yes, visual please. aid. So, like, yes. so here is the advanced um, copy of the novel. You can see the resemblance, right? So um, gorgeous! What a so color! I, yeah. So, you know, I I'm really blessed at Berkeley, my publisher. You know, my editor always has. We have a, always have a super fun conversation about every book cover yeah. um, before she goes to the art department and kind of talks about what the feel of the book is and, you know, what she and I have thought about for cover ideas. Um, you know, I never try to go into it too married to a particular idea because you never know what's going to really work. Um, and, and the, you know, the designers there are just fabulous. Um, so, it, you know, she, we landed on this idea for the cover of uh, the, 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 the front of the bookstore or a bookstore, like an evocative bookstore. And I was, amazed when she came back a few weeks later and told me that the Berkeley was going to hire a painter. <laughs> so it is an original. It is an original painting Holy and that I managed God. to purchase. <laughs> um, uh, this so, is literally the coolest thing I've ever heard. It's really it's special. Let me ask you how you felt though when they said they were going to hire a painter, because at least when it's like you know some kind of stock photo or photo representation, you would be able to say, mm, I don't like that color. Can you change that? Can you move the guy over there? When it's a painting, <laughs> yeah. So, so can you can you describe sketches. it in your own words? We're looking at a bookstore. It's light green. Yeah. There is um, there. Yes. Yeah, so it says oh. you can. I don't know if you can tell this on the Zoom, yeah. but it says it's part of the word Shakespeare and Company up there. This is meant to be Sylvia Beach and this is meant to be um, uh, James Joyce walking away and this <laughs> I have to say the little scene scene stealer or right here yes is her dog Teddy 
who is a real dog. She really had a little shop dog. And Teddy is in a few really important scenes in the novel. Um, so, and I have a dog of my own. He might jingle around or even try to get in my lap while I'm, while we're talking. Um, he's, he's not, he's, um, this is a, he's, uh, Teddy was, was sort of a terrier, but my dog is a Labradoodle. (laughs) So So what did you, what, how did you feel when they showed you this painting? Well, so there were sketches first and, and, you know, so there was some back and forth between many different, it wasn't just me and the painter, right? Like composition and color. And in fact, yeah, exactly. And, and positioning of the, of the, of the people. Um, And actually Teddy was a sort of a later addition to the, um, you know, I said, what, what would happen if we put Teddy the dog in in there? And I'm so glad I asked for him. (laughs) Who's your editor at Berkeley? Kate Seaver. She's amazing. I have been. I have been trying to work with her for a long time. She wanted my very first book and it went to somebody else. Um, and oh. I really respect her, but I, I've worked with Daniel Perez at, um, at Berkeley. And I remember Daniel once told me like, just put a dog on the cover. Let's just get a dog on the cover. Somehow people love a dog on the cover. That's so funny. Well, I, Hey, fingers crossed. That Teddy sells some copies. <laughs> exactly. I Do am your sure job. that he will. All right. <laughs> so on this show, we talk about writing process and how you get stuff done. You are prolific. You've got a body of work behind you. Um, and you write under your, uh, under the name Carrie majors as well. How do you get it all done? When, when, and where, and how, you know, this is an interesting question. So I, um, I've been writing since I was in fifth grade. I started my first unpublished novel in fifth grade <laughs> and, and I, I completed my first novel, um, my first completed novel after college. That novel never was, was never published. Um, but I always like to talk about like what a long process it really was yeah. for me and how completely and totally worth the wait it was. You know, when my first historical novel, my, my first novel sold, um, to Kate at Berkeley, you know, the Kennedy debutante, it was just like that. It was just so such a happy, happy, happy day. (laughs) You know, it it was dreamy. It was really dreamy, but you know, and people talk about, you know, the overnight success and, and somebody, um, somebody I watched um, on YouTube for videos, um, had a, had a, his name is Joe Wicks. I think a lot of people have been watching Mm -hmm. him in the, during the pandemic PE with Joe, he's English. Anyway, but he talks about my 10 year overnight success. So to me, it's like my 30 year old (laughs) overnight success because it was like, the Kennedy book did sell quickly, but it took a very long time for me to get there, you know? Um, and so anyway, so, but you asked really about my process. And so my process has of course changed over time. So, so with the Kennedy novel at the time, my daughter was in preschool and, um, basically you know, she was only in there in a morning program. So I would drop her off at nine o'clock. I would come home, make a second pot of coffee and be like, I have two and a half hours before I have to pick her up again. And I just got very good at using those two and a half hours to intensely write or research or rewrite or whatever it was I was doing. So I just got good at writing in those like bursts. Mm -hmm. Um, And to this day, I still kind of write in two to three hour bursts. It's, um, you know, and I tend to still write in the morning. My brain is just at its best then. And then in the afternoon, I, I deal with the other sort of work of being a writer, like answering emails and, you know, um, Zooms and all, all the all the other fun things. Um, but uh, the writing, I, I do my best writing before lunch, <laughs> I would too. say. Yeah. What, so, how has the pandemic changed things for you, if it has at all? 
Well, you know, actually the, that learning to write that way or writing that way has served me well during the pandemic because, well, I mean, you know, in the first few months when everything initially shut down and my daughter by this time was in third grade, she's now in fifth. So right. that at, was the, like, at the point where you started writing, <laughs> it's how <old> she is. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, that was a, you know, what show like for, it was yeah. for everybody else. And so I wasn't getting that much work done. However, because I could write in short bursts and I, and I knew that I could sit down and get the most out of an hour. I just tried to do that um, as much as I could. And I was very lucky, you know, one last year, she was in fourth grade, the schools here uh, went back with with one of these hybrid schedules and slowly, Uh. slowly, slowly scaled them up. So very, by November, she was in five days a week, half days. So oh, that was, great. that was great for my writing. So you so. were kind of back to that preschool schedule when she was, I in was there back to the and you knew how to do schedule. that. Exactly. So exactly. let's go back for a second to this, the 30 year overnight success. I, I love that. Um, I have this theory about writer. I don't want to say successful writers, but writers who maintain the course and keep going that we have to be two things. We have to be incredibly stubborn and in, incredibly hopeful. Like we have to be these stubborn optimists. What, how, what do you think about that? And how did, what did that look like over the course of those years of writing and rewriting? Well, for me, hope is not the thing with feathers. (laughs) Yeah. What is hope Um, to you? You know, hope became something really hard to manage. You know, you know, I would finish a novel. So I have five unpublished novels and, you know, on my hard drive and in my attic, I like to say. Um, And so I, I wouldn't trade them. They're, they are how I learned to write books. And, and when it came time for me to write the Kennedy debutante and all the books that I've written since then, I have used everything that I've learned from those sort of apprentice novels, we might call them, yeah. um, to, to write, do the writing that I'm doing now. Um, you know, some people spend 10 years writing one book. I spent 10 years writing five books, you know, <laughs> might've been more like 12 years. I um, actually think we learn more that way. You, were, you know, what do you think about that? Well, I think everyone's different. Have you, have you written a few books that you, you feel like you sort of, you, you wrote them and you're like, well, I learned a lot from that. (laughs) Oh yeah. My first three books, I have three books. I call it under the bed. Um, well, and, and since I've been writing and publishing, there's, there's another couple of books that have just been pushed under there. I know that I, I I have the skills now that I could pull them out and I don't know if I want to. Yeah, no, I, you couldn't pay me to pull those. The the early ones, those first three. Yeah. A shudder. No. There is actually yeah. there. Um, I got my MFA at, uh, where did you, you got your MFA at where? At Columbia. Uh, Columbia. That's right. That's amazing. I got mine at Mills and, um, to my horror, my first 150 pages of a novel, which was never completed is still in the library there. And I meant yeah. to steal it before we left California just so it that's wouldn't funny. be there, but it's, 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 you know, ugh. I'm from California. Are you from where? Yeah, I'm from. Well, I grew up mostly in Stockton, but I okay. went to Berkeley. So I am. Uh-huh. I'm, and my parents are Bay Area people too. So I really, I grew up with a lot of good Bay Area stuff. And Berkeley and Mills are the sister schools. Mills goes to Berkeley for the medical right. and the library and all of that. Yeah, that's awesome. Mills is based in Moraga, right? Uh, no, um, that's St. Mary's. Uh, Mills is in Oakland. Just oh, right. Like okay. Smack, Sorry. Smack my, my cal- I, yeah. I haven't lived there in a long time. I, I love going. I always love going back. Uh, where are you now? I'm outside of Boston in Massachusetts. Oh, well, that's gorgeous. It and- is lovely, especially in the fall. Yeah. And the winter and you're coming into the holiday season. And I've only ever been in Boston around the holiday season. And that, I don't know, that's pretty special. 
It is okay. with all the twinkly lights, especially if there's yes. snow, all that stuff. Yeah. Yes. The thing that we won't have for Christmas this year in New Zealand, which is fun. <laughs> okay. So um, back to writing. What is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing nowadays? You know, it really depends on the book, you know, mm. um, you know, with the Paris bookseller. Um, you, so one of my biggest challenges with the Paris bookseller was sort of knowing when to stop doing the research, because honest to goodness, when you're writing about the writers of the twenties, right? Like in the thirties, you know, the expat write writers, right. so they themselves wrote so much yeah. and so much has been written about them that I really had to make some hard choices about, about what was going to be the most important things for me to read um, yeah. and really, and really internalize and absorb and take notes on and, and all that stuff. And when to kind of be like, okay, I've done enough, like to do a responsible job. I mean, I could have researched that book for 10 years and <laughs> never gotten to my own. Um, so, so, so for that book, that was one of the biggest challenges. And then I had to kind of get over this, this sort of like, like, Oh my God, am I really going to put words in Ernest Hemingway's mouth? Like that's really, what I was really wondering. Do that? What was well, your so, intimidation level around all of that? Because so mine would have been high. high. Okay. So on a scale of one to 10, it was probably a seven, but yeah. it would have been an 11 <laughs> had I not already written my first two historical novels. Um, yeah. Because, you know, with Kit Kennedy, I had to put words in like John F, a young yeah. John F. Kennedy's mouth, at, yeah. you know, and and other you know luminaries, and you know one of my, you know, going back to the five unpublished novels, you know, I had this real moment when I embarked on that book. I was like, who am I to write about the Kennedys? Like, I'm just some housewife with five unpublished novels in her attic, right? Like, um, but I did get over it, yeah. um, you know. And in fact, actually, and for those of you listening out there, this is one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten for this particular problem. Um, two of my writing friends and colleagues who, who, who come from very different parts of my writing life and don't know each other or anything. They said literally the exact same thing to me within two weeks of each other. They said, I was talking about how intimidated I felt and how I was having trouble getting going. And they were like, but Carrie, it's your book, isn't it? Oh, that's perfect. Isn't it's it no perfect? one else's book. It's not a Kennedy. It's no one else. It's correct. yours. And you get right. to do what? the heck you want with it. Correct. Right. So that, that, that mantra (laughs) has stood me in good stead for, for everything moving forward. That is a wonderful mantra for all of writing. What is your biggest joy when it comes to writing? Oh, you mean like in the process, any, any part of writing, any part of writing? (laughs) Um, well, so, uh, you know, I do always like revising. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, I used to, I taught writing for many years and, you know, getting students to revise was like really I hard. Honestly say that when I was in grad school and in undergrad and in, in high, I never revised a damn thing. I didn't know how. Right. So I used to, I mean, you know, I mainly taught freshman composition and I, yeah. I really took it as my, my duty, <laughs> almost like a civic duty to get these kids <laughs> to rethink their own ideas. Wow. Right? That's big. It that is, makes them a better human being. That's period. what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> they really did not agree. <laughs> I believe that. I would not have agreed with you. Because, right. And plus I would have written it like, you know, four hours before class. Cause that's how I did it. And well, I would have expected an A and I wouldn't have had, you know, oh, I would have hated that. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. So I found ways of grading certain assignments based entirely not on the outcome, but on their engagement in the process. I was like, I want to see half of it, half of your first draft gone. Like, and if you don't cut your first, if you don't cut half I of your first draft, that. you know, and it's not necessarily because you can do better, but I want you to try different. Yes. <laughs> and, and they almost always, the ones who oh really embraced it and were like, okay, that's how I'm going to get a grade. I'm going to yeah. try. They always reluctantly said, well, yeah, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have seen, I wouldn't have done it this way. And they can <laughs> see that it's me. better and it right. feels good. Oh, that is what a, that was a very good duty to, to, to give to the world. <laughs> I don't even remember your original question. Oh, what is my oh, favorite part of the process? Oh, yeah. Revising. Okay. So, so here's all the, there's all the like sort of teacherly, you know, um, stuff about revising. But the other reason I like revising is because I have the security of like, I've already written like yes. 80,000 words. It's like, even if I do away with 40,000 of them, I've written them. And like, there's, there's just something very comforting about those words, having written all those words already. Oh, I love that. I 100% agree. Um, can you give so what's us your favorite part of the process? Oh, revision 100%. Okay. And it is also something that I teach in a, in a masterclass because all I wanted to learn, um, I, I think listeners have probably, some of the listeners have heard this before, but I turned in my first book. I accidentally wrote it well, sold a three book contract. <gasps> second three, book. Wow. This was back in the day, right? When they were still giving three book contracts. Um, and second book, I wrote the worst book that's ever happened. And my editor said, there's, you know, you're a great writer. I love all the writing in it, but there's no plot here. And I had to like go, this was, this was after I had an MFA years after I had an MFA and I had to go away and I Googled, how do you write a book? story structure, and how do you revise a book? I would have paid anything for a revision class. So that's why I teach novel and memoir revision now. Um, and I think maybe because I did have to think so hard about it and work so hard at it. And I got that satisfaction that you were just talking about of chopping something away, rethinking it, learning from what I had learned. So I'm now I'm smarter than I was when I wrote right. the first draft. That's correct. Yes. And it just felt so good. Um, mm -hmm. I just I just wrapped up my revision class uh, this particular session yesterday, and I had a couple of the revision students say, "Rachel, you did say it was going to be really fun," and and they're like, "I think I thought it was going to be more fun," and I'm like, "Well, I think I said it was awesome, but it's still very hard. <laughs> it's not all rainbows. It's it's definitely no. achy, uh, but." But it's so, I don't know. I just find it so much more rewarding than the first draft. It is, it is definitely, yeah, fun. It is rarely fun. Yeah. <laughs> when it is fun, it's the most fun. It, that is correct. It's like yeah. the most fun you ever have. Yes, that's correct. Yes, yes, yes. That is hundred percent true. Figure out how to get that every single day. All no, right. I feel like I, you gave us a good craft tip already when you said, this is your book, but can you give us another craft tip of any sort? Uh oh, you froze. Are you still there? Oh, yes, I'm still here. Oh, there. Perfect. Uh, You're unfrozen. Okay. Perfect. I'm it's sorry. Just, that was so you bizarre. wobbled for okay. a second. Oh, no, I'm okay. getting the signal that it's my uh, internet. So it's oh, not yours. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, so I feel like everyone, uh, very often people give the, the sort of stick with it advice, which we've sort of covered, right? Like, you yeah. have to, like persist, right? Yeah. I think, but I think an important corollary to that is, find your people. Uh, tell me more about this. I could not agree. So, more. um, take a class, mm -hmm. um, uh, 
put up a poster, say, I'm starting a writing group. Is anyone else out there working on a novel? Want to meet at the Starbucks every, although all the Starbucks is my neighborhood are suddenly closing at one o'clock, but you know, you know what I mean? Like one in the afternoon on everybody's for Starbucks? Patio. Wow. I know it's very strange or, you know, let's meet on everybody's patio at yeah. four o'clock, you know, the first Wednesday of every month or whatever. Um, so it is so important to find your people because it is your people other people who write and really understand what it means to have to chop 40,000 of your 80,000 yeah. words, um, who, who know how to write a novel or and have story structure and write dialogue, whatever your weak points are. And, and also, and not just point out your weak points, but also tell you your strengths, right? Yeah. And commiserate when the going gets tough. The writing life is full of no there is significantly more no in this life than yes. <laughs> I'm going to go like 95 to five, really. Yeah. Yep. If, even once you're published. Oh yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Post-published. Five. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, even, yeah. okay. So leading up to it might be 98 <laughs> to two. Might be worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So, you know, it really is, you have to, you, it's not just that you need to have a thick skin, right? It's that you need to know who to call when yes. you need someone to pick you up and dust you off. Exactly. I don't think we get that thick skin without that. Honestly, I remember my very first, um, it wasn't even a bad review. It was an ambivalent review from, uh, uh PW, uh, but it happened to be my first like big, oh. big review. Yeah. And I just remember calling my best writing friend and, so, you know, she answered the phone and she thought someone was dead because <laughs> the way I couldn't speak, but the way we develop that thick skin is talking about it with people who can understand. And also, I don't know if you, how you feel about this, but I feel like whining about writing, nobody wants to hear it except for other writers. Correct, other writers yes. want to hear <laughs> the whining. Our, our, our wives, our husbands, they, they, we have a pretty cushy job. You know, I'm sitting on my butt making stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is that. Although, you know, when people, people tell me, I can't even imagine writing a book. I'm like, well, I can't imagine using Excel. <laughs> good answer. I'm using all my best material with you, Rachel. I'm never going to be it's able to really do another good. interview again. It's really good. <laughs> you're making my face go bright red and that's how you, I know that you're tickling me. So yes. Yeah, so, so the people who are like, oh, I want to find community, but where else can I find it? So I recommend meetup. I mean, you can put yep. the post up oh, there. Yes. Good point. Yep. You could, where, what else can we do? We can put a post up, but you can put up one of those posters at the local cafe. Yes. And I really recommend taking a class, you know, like yeah. Gotham in New York city, yeah. Gotham writers workshop and in Boston, Grub street writers workshop have all gone online. They have, yes. that's one of the gifts of the pandemic is that like yes. great content has gone online. And so you can take a writing class and get feedback from writers just like me and Rachel who are, who are teaching the class and also your peers. And so this is the thing though, about taking the class, do not go into it just for the feedback of the teacher, go into it with an eye toward the classmates you want to keep in touch with that's the and, biggest and part. Continue, yep. And continue exchanging work with. That is the most important. Part. The teacher is the least important part. Exactly. It's the, it's the classmates. And you'll probably need to take more than one class um, in order to really to find. I mean, if you find like two or three people in one class, that's a lot. If you find one, that's, I would say that's money well spent. And then and, the two of yeah. you can form your own writer's group. Yes. 
you only need to find those one or two people. And, it, but, yes. but I will say for everybody listening, it is just hard to do this as an adult. Like before we got on, yes. I was, I was saying to you that I've just moved to New Zealand. I took a pants making class, pattern making for trousers class on Saturday. Um, one, because I like to sew, uh, and then I absolutely sewed the pants backwards and into a skirt. So that didn't go well. <laughs> But I went with the object of making one friend and his name is Leon. And we have just signed up to take a drawing class and I'm just signing up because I want to sit next to Leon and we're, you know, be the bad kids in the class. And this is how we make friends. So when you're in Grub Street or when you're in an online class at the end of this class or in the middle of this class, I would recommend to people say like, you can be really honest and say, I'm very nervous about doing this, but can I have your phone number? Can I text you with my accountability? I, I, you know, I'm not writing as much as I want. Would you like yes. to work together? Yep. And it's terrifying. 100%. It, it can be. It's true. Yeah. I mean, so you and I both went to MFA programs. Yeah. And so I have a cup, a handful of people from my MFA program that I, you know, I'm in good touch with. Although I have to say now that I'm in the world of historical fiction, I like also going to conferences is another yes, great way to do it. Best. Yeah. So, and, and, and if you happen to be writing historical fiction out there, Join the N- the Historical Novel Society, the HNS. They have a conference every year, although every other year it's in the UK. So start with the US one. Although if you if you are in New yeah, Zealand, maybe, maybe you, you want to go to the UK one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure where our audience is. Um, so anyway, both, both and. Yeah. Um, and th- that conference um, is for published writers as well as aspiring writers. And there are tons of workshops. You will meet it is again, money very, very well spent, um, to find your people. My best friends are my writing friends and I found them in writing organizations and not in my MFA. Um, like I have one or two people that I'm kind of in loose contact with from my MFA, but I think we all scattered to the winds out of, you know, sheer horror when we graduated, like, what do we do next? And, uh, yeah. Well, also, I mean, I took my MFA in a very different time in my life. You know, I was in my twenties, yeah, you know, it was, it yeah. was, it was just different, you know, yeah. I am not in my twenties yeah. anymore. No, me neither. Me neither. No. Okay. Um, may I ask you what thing in your life affects your writing in a surprising way? Oh my goodness. Um, in a surprising way. You know, probably, well, I don't know about surprising. I know myself so well by now, but probably, you know, I, I am sort of like constantly surprised. You know what it is? I'll tell you what it is. Tell me. I have to think about this. <laughs> I was thinking health and it's definitely health and wellness related. Yeah. I generally am a very healthy eater. I try to get a decent amount of exercise. You know what? It's meditation. <laughs> oh, isn't that annoying? Me too. That's my, that's so my answer. I know I am in, yeah. I, I, meditation is a practice. Yeah. I, Writing is the one practice that I have really been the most disciplined about in my life. And I, in some ways it's almost like, that's all I got for discipline. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Me too. But, but when I have kind of meditated, even just 10 or 15 minutes, Mm -hmm. a few times a week, um, I'm just more in tune with my creative self, with my thoughts, and I'm able to kind of drop into that part of me um, a little bit better and faster. Anyway, I, I love meditation. I try to do 10 minutes a day, but I'm doing it kind of the, the 10%. Do you ever listen to 10% happier or, um, yes, I have it. I know I don't listen. Dan, what's his name? He, I think he says like more days than not. I ask myself, am I doing it more days than not? So, um, I love hearing about others practice. What kind of meditation are you doing? Are you watching your breath? Are you sitting on a, on a beanbag? What are you doing? (sighs) 
my head brain is way too noisy for anything other than guided meditation. Guided meditation, meditation is the best. What, what, what do you like? So I really, apps? there's a, there's an app that I, that I it was the first app I ever downloaded recommended to me by my therapist. Um, and I, it is still my favorite all, um, and it's called Budify. Oh, like I've Buddha, never heard of that one. Budify. Yeah. And it's, it's, I, I don't, when I downloaded it, it was like $6 and you got all these different meditations and like yeah. sort of subdivided by, um, type. Yeah. Um, and you know, varying lengths, everything from like three minute quick and dirties to like, you know, 25 minute, you know, kindness, you know, loving kindness, kind mm-hmm. of like the longer ones. Um, and, uh, I have found them to be terrific. And, you know, there are certain voices that I just, I could listen to all the live long day. Mm. Um, but I, you know, I, I would love to branch out I, to like headspace. I've heard is really terrific. Who do you use? There are three that I really like, and now I'm going to add what if I had to try it? I like, um, 10% happier. This is, these are also, I think all of these are monthly subscriptions now. So you kind of, mm-hmm. but what I would recommend people do if they've never tried any of them, they all have those free samples. You could probably get two weeks on oh. each and, and move your way through Budify and then 10% happier, which I love, um, calm, People really yes, love that one and they, calm. and they love that one for the sleep meditations. Apparently their sleep stories are real good. And then the other one is, um, oh, why have I just lost it? Oh, Headspace and, um, Insight Timer, uh, the, ju- yes. the app Insight Timer has, I think that one might be all the way free. Um, and that I think one, that has a bunch of that, guided. Is method. that maybe even native to the, to Apple products? No, because I have, I am an Android person. Oh, okay. And, and I, and I have it and it's really nice to have the timer on there too, but I love yeah. what you're saying about your brain being too loud. I feel it's like that may be a quality of writers is that our brains <laughs> are often loud. And that's why I didn't meditate for the longest time because I thought I needed to make my brain quiet. And that is not what we're doing. Right. In that's right. Yes. Everyone who has never tried it and is avoiding it for this reason, you don't actually need to turn your brain off. That's in fact, you can't. Of it. No one can. That's maybe maybe right. the Buddha could for a few seconds at a time. Right. Right. But exactly. the rest of us, we're just trying to focus our brain. And they're just like, I always think about it very secularly. It's just a little push up for your brain. Yep. Every time you get distracted in meditation and come back to what you're thinking about, it's a tiny little push up. And that directly influences how we write. Yes. So I love that you said all, that. That's... All of that is true. Okay. Now we're, now you and I are BFFs and, and writing. A hundred percent. We are totally, we are becoming critique partners. We are simpatico. <laughs> exactly. You're watching this happen in real, in real time people. This is how it's done. This is why I have this, a show. This is actually, so no, yeah. but actually that is true because yeah. this is what happens to people at conferences. Yes. Like you I mean, like in the bathroom. In the bathroom or waiting in line for lunch. Like, you know, you start like shooting the, you know, what with someone, whoever's standing next to you and you just, you discover that you have all this great stuff in common. Yeah. And three out of, you know, three out of the five people you talk to, they're very nice. And then two out of the five people you're like, I need your number. We're, you know, come stay at my house the next time you're in California. I I have a guest bed right here in New Zealand, Carrie. Seriously, the borders will open soon. Come visit. I'm not even, I'm not even kidding. (laughs) Well, so I, so Paris bookseller is actually getting a, an Australian and New Zealand edition with a different ah. cover. I wish I had something to show you with it on there. It's a totally oh, send it to me when cover. you get it. I, I want to, yeah. I want to see it. Oh, and well, I will look forward to the bookstore and I will face it out and I will tag you in Instagram with it. Oh, excellent. Um, Thank you. You know, you probably ooh, can look it up awesome. already on Amazon. I will look it up, but I will also just go to the bookstore and make sure that they have it because I've already made friends with booksellers here. That was like one of the first things I did. So, um, I will have them make sure it's on stock and faced out. 
Excellent. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Um, what is speaking of books, what is the best book that you have read recently and why did you love it? Oh, it's hard to pick just one. And I know. well, then know, give us a couple. So, okay. <laughs> so, and I'm going to give you audiobook examples Great. because I, all of my pleasure reading actually takes place on audiobook. I have so many um, audible credits right now I need to use. So, this is useful for me. <laughs> Yeah. So, so, all right. So, so one of the first ones that comes to mind is the women of Chateau Lafayette by Stephanie Dre. Okay. Um, she's also published by Berkeley, although she, um, has a different editor than I do. Um, it is, it is a tremendous book and I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's long, <laughs> um, but it was a pleasure to listen to. I mean, it took a mm-hmm. while. I mean, I listened, I listened to all my walks with my dog as my primary yeah. form of exercise. Um, and so it was just, I mean, it was, it's three women narrators, one of whom is Adrienne Lafayette during the, uh, the American and then the French revolution. Ooh, that Lafayette. Uh, exactly. Yes. That Lafayette, <laughs> America's favorite fighting fresh Frenchman. <laughs> um, Thank you. His wife. I was going through my head. <laughs> right. Didn't exactly. even know he had a wife. <laughs> he, a long suffering one. I who, bet. And, yeah. Who, but they had a real partnership. I mean, yeah. Stephanie is a, an incredible researcher. And so I just learned so much, not mm-hmm. just about Adrienne and the Lafayette family and, and sort of the trials and tribulations and joys and all the things, but then the, the other two narrators were during world war one and world war two. And so oh, she ambitious. created, yes, it is. And it works. It just works beautifully and it's really, it's really compelling and, and, and great. I just can't recommend it highly enough. Awesome. Um, uh, where do I go from there? (laughs) Um, you know, another book that I read, it was a, it was a little while back, but I, I, it always comes to mind as a favorite recent read is, um, Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. It's everybody keeps recommending that one to me. I also listened to it and I don't remember the name of the woman who read it, but she's, British. And, you know, she's got this lovely accent and this rich resonant voice. And I could listen to her forever, read the phone book. Um, (laughs) And she read it. She Hamnet is a beautifully written lyrical literary novel. Mm. Um, And you really get that from the from the reading also like um, I, I, that's terrific. And then for maybe a little spot of fun and which isn't to say that it's not also, it is also this next novel is also beautifully written and very poignant, but it's, 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 it's a different kind of book. It's the Gunkle by Stephen Rowley. Stephen Rowley is one of, I just love his writing and I haven't read that one yet. He's been on the show. Well, Um, so he reads the book. He reads the audio book. I have to get that. Yeah, I I was not so sure. Like I was like, oh, really? Within five minutes, I was like, this is a great decision. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's he's a gifted reader, you know. Um, and I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and there are some yeah. audiobooks I was like, oh no, this reader is not. I can't. I can't. I'm not sure I can finish. I I, um, I won't finish if it's really bothering me. I can't do it. I have to say that is rare these days. I mean, yes. there are so many gifted yeah. actress, actors and actresses who are out there doing this work. You know, that's, it's rare, but Stephen hits it out of the park and it's really fun to listen to a book that's read by the writer. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay. Um, and that's a nice segue into your own book. Cause we've got the queer fiction putting that together here. Could oh. you please <laughs> see? Well done. Well done. Could you please um, tell us about the Paris bookseller? Give us your logline and. Tell us about it. 
Uh, so the Paris bookseller is set um, at, you know, probably the world's most famous independent bookstore, Shakespeare and Company, Paris. Um, and many people have been to the current Shakespeare and Company in Paris, which is a lovely place, but it is not the original. It I is very always much thought it was the original. It is very much an homage to the original, um, but that store opened in 1953, and it was opened by a different American named George um, George Whitman, and originally it was called Le Mistral, and Sylvia Beach, the owner of the original Shakespeare and Company bookstore, was a, a regular customer of his, <laughs> um, because- Who knew? Pershing, well, exactly. Um, <laughs> so anyway, long story short- the original Shakespeare and Company was owned and operated and founded by an American woman named Sylvia Beach, who is wearing this lovely purple suit on my cover. Um, and she, it, it like instantly became the home of the lost generation expat mm -hmm. community. Um, you know, Ernest Hemingway was a lifelong friend of hers. You know, every famous writer from the twenties and thirties, didn't just like go to Shakespeare and company. They spent lots of time there. It was really one of these, like if you were a writer and you wanted to find your people, you, you would go there. to Shakespeare and company. Oh, I have goosebumps <laughs> just thinking about it. So it was really a special place. And as if that wasn't enough, she, um, she also published the very first edition of James Joyce's Ulysses in 1922. So my book is coming out right around the hundredth <gasps> anniversary of her yes. edition of Ulysses. So that's really exciting. Wow. I have so, still never managed to get through that damn book. It's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but what's, what's particularly amazing about her publication of Ulysses is she offered to do it after it had been convicted of obscenity and a, became a banned book in a big trial in New York in 1921. So and then, so, so she, so she publishes it from France, right? And then she has to figure out a way to ship it back to, into the United States along, as I always like to say, alongside all the Ill illegal liquor. Yes. Prohibition. So right. here's this illegal book traveling alongside, you know, illegal liquor. I um, want both of those things. <laughs> right. I mean, it's the twenties. How can we not love the twenties? <laughs> Such a glamorous and, time. And then tell us a little bit more about her and what happens in this so, book. So she, so I think um, one of the big, so I discovered her story because way back in college, I read her own memoir, which is really a, a slim little volume. Um, it's called Shakespeare and Company. I highly recommend it. It I is a charming it. read. Um, and that was when I first learned about the fa fact that she was the one who, who ran Shakespeare and company and, and published Ulysses. And I just kind of like filed it away under good to know. Right. Like, and so fast forward, you know, two decades and um, I'm kind of amazed. It didn't occur to me sooner that I could write about her, <laughs> but yeah. you know, to our earlier conversation, I'm actually really glad that I wrote two previous novels before this one, because I yeah, think it showed up. Daunting, yeah. Um, oh yeah. Try as a first, yeah go at historical fiction. Um, but regardless, um, so she, one of the interesting things in my research that I did for the book, because this isn't really clear, so, so clear from her memoir, is that Shakespeare and Company in some ways was really two stores. Shakespeare and Company was the, um, was the only English language bookstore and lending library in all of Paris for a long time. So she, it was really one of its kind. But across the street, 
was La Maison des Amis de Livre, which is the house of the friends of books, which had been open since 1915. And it was owned and um, founded by a French woman named Adrienne Monnier. And Adrienne and her store were really Sylvia's inspiration for opening Shakespeare and Company. And they meet in 1917, which is when my novel opens, and they do quickly become a couple. And they and they is this really, historically accurate or are you it is historically accurate? Oh, yes. it's delicious. Yes, yes, it is delicious. And they really they have a remarkable it's not it's not just a romantic relationship, right? It is a deep, deep, deep friendship yeah. um, based on a mutual love of books and writers and Paris and, you know, all the yummy things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and speaking of which, Adrienne was a great gourmet. Like that was one of the things she was known for. In addition to being, you know, this amazing um, first woman bookseller in France, um, one of the first women booksellers in France, you know, she was known for being a great, a great gourmet cook. Um, so I had, you know, of course I had to add some, you know, like yummy, delicious things. <laughs> oh, I want to go to um, one of their parties. <laughs> I know. Right. I, that would be a great thing for somebody, a, a better cook than I am to recreate. <laughs> I enjoy cooking, but French cooking is really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So where can this book be bought? This book will be able to be bought everywhere books are sold. Or I'm saying this before it actually releases as if it's in but the future. But it'll be out by the time this is, it is yeah. Right. So it's, it, it will be an ebook. It will be an audio book. It will be a hardback. Um, and um, you can buy it from your local independent bookstore. You can buy it from any one of the big box retailers. Um, you can download it from Audible. You'll be able to download it from Libro FM. Um, you'll be able to get it in Australia would- New Zealand. Uh, and right uh, wherever books are sold in Australia and New Zealand. And, but also um, if you do live in the States and you would like a signed copy, um, Wellesley books is my local oh. and I will sign as many books as are requested. That's fabulous. I love so, that you are doing that. Um, yeah. And that will be a quick Google search away for anybody who would like a signed yes. book. Um, Carrie, this has been fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. It really so- has been fabulous much for being on the show. I really appreciate talking, writing with you, and I want to do it again in the future. I I hope we can do that. And thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends. <laughs>